Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hat smiley face. Was I supposed to say that? Yeah. Or was I supposed to act that out? Well, hello and welcome. You've made it all the way to the China shop today. Come on inside. Get out of that heat. It's still hot where I am. Uh, as always, I'm your shopkeeper, Dan. With me is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? Doing great. So? Fan- oh, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, <laughs> just sweating, sweating uh, my weight away to, to lower my wrestling weight class, apparently, because I'm getting... Well, we- we really need to get you a, uh, a quieter AC unit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, very much so. Uh, thanks for joining us today, folks. We're so glad you're here. We've got a really fantastic, exciting show. We are joined by none other than Shahar Abrams, founder and CEO at Road to Babylon. How are you doing today, Shahar? Hey, I'm doing great, guys. Thanks. Fantastic. So glad you're here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you found yourself on the road to the Road to Babylon? Yeah, Yeah, maybe a little bit about what the Road to Babylon is. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so Road Road to Babylon is my sort of education, specifically sort of crypto and financial education um, related uh, startup here in Atlanta. And I called it Road to Babylon um, because one of my favorite sort of personal finance books is called The Richest Man in Babylon. And it's I read that. Classic. I read yeah. that as a kid. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, it's a great, um, it was written back in the early 20th century. Um, and obviously, it's set in the times of ancient Babylon. And it's a very quick read. And it, it's just told in, as a set of parables, really, um, a set of sort of short stories. Um, and, you know, it just kind of illustrates for you how the principles of, you know, investing and the principles of wealth creation have really been around for like thousands of years, and, and they really haven't changed. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, that really kind of um, was interesting to me, especially, you know, being really into this very new, you know, complex seeming market like crypto, how, you know, really the rules to do well and to, you know, grow your wealth, like are, are, are still the same, you know, even though we're dealing with a fascinating new technology that nobody, you know, in ancient Mesopotamia ever dreamed of. Oh, God, yeah, can you imagine? Uh, That'd be a fun conversation <laughs> yeah. trying to explain an NFT to Hammurabi. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> Sounds like actually, it should be like a movie. Actually. Are the Coda Laws uh, an NFT yet? Has anybody cornered that market? Um, a, a what? Code of the, Laws. The, the Code of Laws, yeah. Of Babylon, wasn't that like their big big uh, claim to fame? Was the first ones to codify a set of laws? Um, yes. Uh, yeah, Hammurabi's Code. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Right. Yeah, they were because see, yeah, the ancient Babylonians, what they figured out was that if you write stuff down on clay and then you bake it, it stays permanent. Um, And so that actually was the discovery that allowed them to create actual, um, you know, deeds and titles to property. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then once you had that, you actually had the ability to own things. And then once you could do that, you could uh, make investments. Um, So that's really where it sort of started. So wow. like a like a a chain of blocks of clay <laughs> that they used in order to store information and pass it on. Yeah, I, I think I see where you're going. With that. Is that could that be a <laughs> could that be a good analogy? Is that how that blockchain works? Yeah, and they used you know a hashing algorithm to link them together <laughs> with cryptography. <laughs> Probably what was going on. They just um, keep the clay wet all the time, is what I'll tell them. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to derail you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and further I, on our history of Babylon <laughs> podcasts. Um, but yeah, so, so that's why I called, you know, my uh, my education startup Road to Babylon. I, oh, it I appealed it. to me kind of the mm-hmm. juxtaposition of old and new. Yeah, um, it's great. In the way, you know, it's applicable. So 
Um, yeah, and I've been doing that since uh, January. Um, I, you know, have been investing in crypto for several years uh, since uh, um, about the middle of 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I have probably a similar story to a lot of people that started investing around that time, you know, and we're just getting into crypto then. And it, it might may seem familiar to you if you're just getting into crypto now, or if you have just in the past few months, which is, you know, I didn't know what I was doing at all. And luckily, my timing was good. It was fortuitous. Um, and so, you know, I bought a bunch of random stuff, you know, and I did buy, you know, the, the blue chips. Um, but I also bought, bought uh, frankly, you know, a bunch of crap. And, um, and it all did really well, you know, and, and within <laughs> six months, you know, I had, you know, four or five X my uh, investment. Um, and I thought, you know, it was a completely uh, new world, right? And I didn't sell anything. Um, mm. And I lost it all uh, over the next two years, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And so that was a, you know, harrowing experience for me. Um, and it was also very motivating. Um, and, you know, uh, from the beginning, though, um, you know, I was really hooked on the technology. I, I really wasn't getting into it just to make money. Obviously, that appealed to me. But um, the tech itself and sort of the philosophy behind it um, were what really spoke to me. And and I knew kind of from the very beginning of learning about, you know, what is Bitcoin and what is blockchain? What is the promise of sort of this new asset class and these new networks? um, I knew that I wanted to be involved in the industry and and stay involved. Um, So I so, you know, I did that. uh, within about a year, I had managed to, you know, move my way into IBM blockchain. Um, I had been working at IBM at the time. I was more on sort of like a data science track. Um, but, you know, I found the guys that were doing blockchain um, at the time. There were just a couple of them and I bothered them enough, you know, until they, they saw I knew what I was talking about and they uh, let me join. And then I spent a couple of years um, at IBM working with government clients as well as commercial clients to you know, build out uh, different sorts of blockchain use cases and, mm-hmm. uh, and networks. Um, so I got some real experience working with the tech um, and building, uh, you know, the networks. And I think that definitely, you know, helped me uh, as well, kind of opened my eyes to sort of the right way to think about investing in these types of technologies and, and projects. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and the whole way, right, I was just kind of going further and further down the rabbit hole. And probably by the end of 2019, I had <laughs> determined that, you know, I, I knew a lot more about crypto than I did the stock market. I cared a lot more about crypto than I did the stock market. Um, and I mm-hmm. felt like crypto was more for me than it was mm-hmm. you know, than the stock market uh, uh, was. Uh, and, you know, I hear, you know, this is a tech that's being built by people like me, sort of. That, that, that was right. my thinking. Whereas, you know, the stock market, you know, it's all for you know, old rich people. That, that was kind of my impression, at least. Um, and I didn't have, you know, I didn't feel like I had any edge, right? Um, and as I learned more about investing, I sort of learned that, you know, the, the really good investors, you know, they find sort of their edge, they find the asymmetric opportunities, and they don't, you know, stay up at night worrying about diversification. They, um, you know, they, they calculate risk, and they kind of, uh, when they see a good opportunity, they take it. And obviously, you know, I was also in the position where, you know, I'm a, I'm a relatively young guy. I'm not married, don't have kids, don't have dependents. Um, luckily, mm-hmm. didn't have debt at that point. Um, and so, you know, I could kind of take that bet. And pretty much by the end of 2019, I had sold, you know, all of my stocks, all of my mutual funds. Um, I held on to my 401k uh, for a bit longer. <laughs> but I, you know, <laughs> sold basically everything that wasn't battened down and, you know, was, was all in on crypto. Wow, you really jumped in then. I, I was in, yeah. <laughs> I'm assuming you can then answer the question is, uh, what, what, what is it? <laughs> yeah. So, crypto, um, crypto in general. <laughs> yeah, there, there are a few ways that um, you can explain this. And kind of the way I've arrived at that I like the most and I think sort of um, uh, is meaningful to, to people is uh, the following, okay? Like, so, you know, I'll start by proposing to you that the internet is a growing organism, right? It was started just about 30 years ago, um, actually less. 
Um, and, you know, we went through kind of this first iteration of the Internet um, where, you know, which is kind of where we are now, which is what we call the Internet of Information, right? And basically the Internet of Information, we found out how to move information trustlessly on the Internet, peer-to-peer, with near-zero cost, and um, uh, with only an Internet connection, right? Mm -hmm. And so what did that do? It completely revolutionized and disrupted every industry in the world that had traditionally mediated in information, right? Yeah. All of these traditional sort of information intermediaries, you know, whether it's the Postal Service or um, the New York Times or, you know, news media, telecommunications, television, you know, all Hmm. this stuff was completely disrupted and turned on its head. And, you know, we're still dealing with... kind of the ripples of that disruption or the wave. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah, like just the, the social networks. Uh, oh, yeah. That's- like trying to figure out how to like deal with that in our day-to-day lives. We're still trying to figure that one out. Movies are now starting to stream on the internet before th- the same time as theaters. Right. Exactly, exactly, right. So we're still dealing with kind of the, the repercussions of how big of a change that was. Just the fact that you can now send information to anyone um, with just an internet connection. And all you need to know is their email address or their phone number, right? And you can send them anything. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, pretty much nobody can stop you, right? All you need is an internet connection. Um, so now uh, what's happened, you know, what we discovered um, in 2008, 2009 with the Bitcoin white paper was how to actually have digital scarcity. Okay, that's what Bit- That was the main innovation of Bitcoin was uh, this idea that you actually can have digital scarcity that can't be you know, shut down, right? Can't, it's mm-hmm. not centralized. It can't be, can't just be shut down, right? Um, then we learned a few years later with Ethereum, we actually learned how to program things with digital scarcity, okay? So now we have both digital scarcity and the ability to create applications that deal with digital scarcity. And what this has basically given us together is the internet of value, okay? Now, can I jump in for just a second? Yeah. Uh, just because something is scarce, though, doesn't mean it's valuable. Like, you know, my chest Correct. hairs are pretty scarce to everybody else, but I can't go out and sell them just because they're the only ones. Well, they might be valuable to you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, now we've, we've actually asked about this before, Kyle, in terms of like, is the mining doing anything? Is this meaning it's creating scarcity in terms of like available processing power or available microchips? Like, what is the scarcity that we're talking about? Right. And then how does that correlate to, to the increase in value? Sure. Absolutely. So um, the, the scarcity is not in the energy used for the network. Um, the, the scarcity is in the actual kind of, you know, assets that are available on the network, right? Because mm-hmm. there will only ever be a certain amount of Bitcoins, for instance. Um, so that scarcity is built into the network. Now, Bitcoin is nothing more than, you know, uh, uh, data, right? Um, Some data that's kept and monitored on the Bitcoin network. What drives value for this network is um, essentially the security and operational sort of capacity of it, right? So um, Bitcoin literally is right now the most secure way to record information that has ever existed in history, right? If you want to record some information um, and you want to make sure that nobody ever changes that information and that will it will be, you know, it, it will exist and be kind of locatable and, you know, for as long as possible, you record it on the Bitcoin blockchain because it is the most secure, immutable, decentralized, right, um, oh, wow. uh, performant um, system that has ever existed, right? There's never been a more secure way to record information right now. Okay, so, that way. so suppose that uh, we wanted to record this episode for posterity. Like, how would we go about putting this podcast episode on the Bitcoin blockchain? So, yeah, so, so we cannot put the episode itself okay. on the blockchain <laughs> because, um, you know, we, th- there's no way to do that uh, that I know of. But what we could do <laughs> is we could attach, we could create like a metadata pointer to the podcast episode. Mm-hmm. And then encode that the location of that metadata onto a transaction that we make in the Bitcoin uh, network, and that the the uh, encoded kind of metadata that we put in our transaction will be on the blockchain, and it will exist forever. Hmm. Mm. So, and then and then that would mean 
something like an NFT is an attempt to take something like an audio file and put it into blockchain immutable format? Yeah, so an NFT is literally a token that tracks um, that, you know, uh, file or, or set of metadata or image at a certain place that you put on the blockchain, then you can actually transact it, right? Um, the NFT is an actual token, if you will, a piece of data that's transactable. Hmm. Um, we can't make NFTs for Bitcoin right now. I think there are people that are working on that. Um, but that's the type of use case you would go to um, a programmable uh, blockchain for right. like Ethereum. Uh-huh. Wow. Um, and, and so I want to real quickly, you know, finish the concept. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, just... value. Right, you're blowing my mind. You're blowing my mind so hard. That's um, the best description we've had. <laughs> okay. Well, we're yeah, we're just getting started. So <laughs> the, the right, the Internet of Value now right has given us a way, literally, to trustlessly and permissionlessly transact value peer to peer without uh, needing anything except for an internet connection. Right. So mm-hmm. just like before, if I had your email address or phone number, I could send you data. If I have your wallet address, right, a string of characters, I can send you value. I can send Mm -hmm. you money. Um, And I can do that, right, with, you know, completely on my own. I don't need a bank. I don't need a government. Um, I just need an Internet connection, right? So so that is the Internet of value, right? And just like my thesis, right, is, is that just like the Internet of information disrupted every industry that mediated an information the Internet of Value is similarly going to disrupt every industry that mediates in value. And um, that, that's a lot of industries. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of things, right? And, and the most exciting sort of applications are going to kind of combine all of that, right? And they're going to um, be, uh, uh, you know, really, really incredible. You know, you're, you're going to have these applications that sort of autonomously um, handle value and deal with things like contracts, right? Um, we have this concept in crypto called smart contracts, which is basically just the idea that you can encode the sort of management of value. You know, what is a contract, right? A contract is, you know, you pay me this and I'll do this for you, right? Mm -hmm. Or you give me this. And then if a certain event happens, I'll do this, right? Um, and we needed a way to enforce that because these contracts ultimately attach to value in some way. That's why they're important. Um, and since we, you know, traditionally value needs, uh, real intermediaries, contracts, you know, are entered into by these intermediaries and you need all this paperwork and lawyers and people to enforce them and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. But once you have programmable value, you can enter into contracts peer to peer, um, on these crypto networks, and you know, right, you know that they will self-enforce, right, and they will execute. And so this concept in particular, right, is what's going to disrupt um, all of the sort of traditional value intermediaries and all of the traditional processes that we use for um, intermediating value. Wow. Wow, this is incredible. (laughs) All right, so, like, are we talking about, like, the stable coin stuff where, or, like, maybe I can program a stable coin to throw my money in to loan it to people kind of contracts like or is am i thinking too narrow yeah no that that's uh sort of exactly the right concept right it's not necessarily the stable coin itself that you program rather it's a it's a application Mm. right that you're creating that's native to the crypto network perhaps that the stable coin is on right where if i deposit my stable coin there and i'm interacting with the contract or the application right then that sort of thing can happen whether it's mm. to get a loan or to make a loan right and then earn that interest on that loan um or to you know provide liquidity into a trading protocol or all sorts of stuff well, right you could buy insurance you can do all sorts of stuff. how how if i make a loan or i take out a loan how is that enforced like can i just if i was like shady couldn't i just take the money and run take the loan and be like okay close that account yeah but who are you taking the money from right so if you are making a loan right you deposit the stable coins into a smart contract you actually are locking the coins into a smart contract that has clear if then rules on when you can get that money back right and they probably um correspond to the rule the terms of the loan that you're entering into right so literally Mm -hmm. you can't do that right you are making when you're entering a loan on the internet of value you're giving your money which is digital to an application that manages it out in the open right and then you Mm -hmm. can see what's happening and then 
the rules are right there. They're in the code, right? Um, and and if you want to close the loan, you have to pay a certain amount of interest plus the principal back to the um, counterparty, etc. Is it linked to my bank account? Like if I'm the shady borrower, like how does it enforce me repaying the loan? So generally, the I mean, the link to your bank account is not going to be is going to be sort of external, right? Um, the banking system is, you know, on a whole nother set of rails, right? So typically, what has to happen is you're going to take, you know, the dollars in your bank. Uh-huh. I'll give you an example. Okay? Yeah. Um, how much does your bank pay you in your savings account? Oh, <laughs> it's something stupid like 0.4%. Quarter percent? Yeah. 0.4%. Okay, that's, that's better than, than I've heard from most people. You may, you, maybe you have a good deal or something. Oh, wow. Yeah, 0.4%. Great. All right. So what is the bank doing with your money? They're loaning it out, enforcing the contracts of those loans, and then making a a ton of money, right? I mean, they charge 20 plus 30% on credit card debt, right? I mean, it's your money that's getting loaned out, right? But they turn around and pay you 0.4% and they keep the other, you know, 30, 32.6%. Okay. Okay. I now, think I'm following. Now, um, so what you can do, right, take your money out of the bank, um, send it to uh, something like Coinbase. Um, you can On Coinbase, you can convert your U.S. dollars from the bank one-to-one to a stable coin, such as U.S. dollar coin, USDC. Mm-hmm. Um, that's free. Okay. Now you have your USDC. You can now deposit that into an application that's going to do the exact same thing that your bank did, right? It's going to make loans of your money to other people that want loans. Um, but because that whole process now exists in code, it's all handled by smart contracts. Um, you're going to earn, there, there is no, you know, bank with tons of buildings and tons of employees in the middle, right? You're going to earn a much higher interest rate on your US dollars. Um, and the rate yeah. that I currently earn, um, on my stable coins that I hold is around 9%. Wow. Um, so I earn about 9% uh, per year on my US dollar deposits, right? Because I hold them in stable coins. Now, are those, now the downside to that is, are those accounts, uh, are those coins FDIC insured? Uh, no, they are not. Yeah. But how many times has the FDIC paid out not, to depositors? I've never had to file for a claim, so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's something that's really nice to have in your back of your head. Well, I would encourage you to go look up how many times throughout history um, actual retail depositors have gotten any money from the FDIC? Um, <laughs> I guess I'd probably if I can count them on one hand, that would be a lot. Wait a second. <laughs> Insurance that doesn't pay out. I've never heard of such a thing. Well, they pay out sometimes to the banks, but pretty rarely to the um, right. depositors. Um, and so, you know, I don't, uh, you're right. You know, th- there is some counterparty risk. Um, just like there is with your bank. Right. Um, but I think going from 0.4% to 9% is worth it. Um, and I've been using these apps. I should say, you know, I've been using these apps for years. Yeah. Um, and I have, you know, been making that interest consistent. So now like the, the uh, stable coin that you're using, the U.S. dollar coin that you mentioned on Coinbase, is that something that tracks the U.S. dollar like one to one, like as it far does. as the value of it? Or is it That's what we call? So U.S. dollar coin is an example of something we call a uh, hard pegged stable coin. Uh-huh. So with any sort of stable coin or stable crypto asset, you know, meant to track something, you can either have a hard peg or a soft peg. A hard peg means that literally there is, um, you know, a one to one reserve of the asset for the coins that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the case of USDC, um, you know, they publish audits every month where they're auditing their reserves, right, and making sure that they do indeed have that one to one reserves available. Right. And you can go look at those audits um, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there are other types of stable coins that are sort of all crypto, right? They're entirely kind of maintained within the crypto ecosystem. And these are algorithmic stable coins. So these are stable coins like DAI or UST um, that um, use, you know, a basket of crypto assets kind of as collateral that has various sort of rules attached to it to um, attempt to track the US dollar as closely as possible without having any physical dollars involved. Mm -hmm. Um, And those generally, the ones that I mentioned, you know, have done a pretty good job of holding their peg most of the time. And so they have a lot of adoption uh, for sure. Um, and, you know, you can use either one. I, I mostly use USDC uh, because what I've just uh, used the most um, and it's very easy to, you know, it, you know, send it back to Coinbase and then just withdraw it to your bank. 
Right. Uh, it sounds like there's a lot less risk with that one too. If uh, you know the crypto market does a seventy percent flash crash, like has done in right. the past, you're probably not going to see that on the U.S. dollar coin. That sounds like. No, uh, you, you shouldn't. Other than the effect that the regular economy has. And I mean, you shouldn't, and I and the others should also <laughs> be fine through that, ideally, right? They're designed, you know, to kind of maintain their peg, right? Even through intense kind of market turns. But, you know, then again, they are, you know, fairly recent projects. So <laughs> yeah, I would trust the dollar coin, I think, first. But, you know, I, yeah, I, I like having the USD coin where I can at any time, you know, go look at the audits and know that it's backed and know that it's regulated and all that stuff. Um, you know, we had another guest that talked to us a lot about the stable coins. And it's just now finally think starting to click into my head what what you're actually doing when you're buying into one of these things. Uh, so I, I do have a Coinbase account. So if I wanted to try to loan out my coins in order to try to get uh, a return on my investment like you're doing, uh, so I convert to the US dollar coin, what's the next step from there? Yeah, so from there you have two options. And you can either go with kind of like the crypto native option, mm-hmm. or you can go with the um, kind of more out in the open um, you know, fully regulated option. Um, and so the second option is what I recommend to most people, especially that, <laughs> right. that are starting out. Um, and so that is to, you would download kind of a specialized uh, crypto app. And the one that I recommend um, is called Celsius Network. That's the one that I use and have been using for years. Um, and they are a completely regulated above board company um, that, you know, they hold your crypto for you. So they're what we call a custodied wallet. Mm-hmm. Right. They're not a wallet where you have to where you control or have to worry about, you know, keeping your private password, private key safe. Right. Um, or else lose everything. Right. They actually you, you'll have a traditional login, like username and password for them. Um, and, you know, you'll still have obviously full control over the account, um, but they'll kind of take care of the security aspect for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mm-hmm. deposit your coins to their app. Right, they'll have a wallet with a public address that you can use to deposit to, um, and as soon as your coins hit that wallet, uh, they will start earning interest. Wow, I like that. And then um, just a couple other cool uh, fun facts about this app: um, there is no minimum amount. So one dollar in USDC will earn nine percent, and a million dollars will earn nine percent. Um, there is no lockup or holding period, so you can withdraw at any time that you want. Um, there are no fees or penalties uh, charged ever. Mm-hmm. So there is no, you know, BS like uh, overdraft fee or like inactivity fee <laughs> um, or all, all this other ridiculous, you know, fees the banks come up with to charge you. Um, uh, there's not, they even cover uh, the crypto network fees, right? That most oh, people wow. have to pay, right? When you withdraw from the app, right? When you deposit, you'll still have to pay a small fee from Coinbase. Um, but so there are no fees and um, uh, the interest payments, uh, you get paid actually weekly. So every week um, you will get a little email of, hey, you know, you earned this much this week. Huh. So it is really a completely sort of game-changing app. I think it's one of the number one finance hacks that nobody really knows about. Um, is that you can just, you know, you can just leave your uh, assets, whether you have crypto assets or just, um, you know, stablecoin assets, right? Um, mm-hmm. You can just leave them in this app and compound, you know, at rates of five, six, nine percent. What's it, what's the app called again? I got a pen. Hold on. Yeah. Celsius Network. I've got it written down. We'll put yeah, links to Celsius that in the description. Network. And I'll <laughs> give one more just little... I, I am not paid anything by this con- company, by the way. Um, I am an ambassador for them. That's just because I was one of their very early users. Yeah. Um, but I have a, a referral code that y'all Ooh. can use and your audience can use. It's Shahar6ABE. Um, and that's good for $50 in free Bitcoin, you know, if you do make a deposit there. So totally up to you. But um, uh, that is one of my favorite sort of very easy to use, low stress um, crypto passive income apps. Sounds awesome. It is awesome. It's, it's really awesome. I, everyone that I've introduced to it, um, which at this point is, you know, probably close to hundreds of people, you know, no, nobody, nobody uninstalls it. Let's just say it. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, Kyle, I bet Alex Greenguard is somewhere saying, yeah, I brought up the Celsius network on the show oh, six did. months ago. He did. He did. <laughs> Good. Well, you know, Alex, way to go. <laughs> When you were first initially talking about your journey, it, it sounded to me like you might have been more of an active investor until you started talking about this. And now it sounds like maybe you're more of a passive investor. Uh, what is your strategy? I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of both. Um, I, 
you know, I, I am pretty active, but I kind of reserve my active kind of style to just, you know, 30, 30% or so of my portfolio. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of it, you know, I leave in the SAP. You know, I, I do have most of my assets uh, in the SAP um, and, you know, just earn the passive income uh, every week. Right. And that that uh, passive income stream, in fact, you know, is what allowed me to quit, you know, quit my job. Wow. Um, and start doing uh, start being full time in education. It's um, awesome. Because, you know, you learn, you know, there's another great lesson of, you know, richest man in Babylon and, and other books is, you know, wealth, wealth is uh, passive income streams. Right. Wealth mm-hmm. is not some number. Right. Wealth is having your money working for you and, and bringing in money for you so that you're earning money independent of time. Right. Um, and so that's what that's the really powerful thing about this app and what their mission is, right, is to make that accessible. And, and I would extend that, you know, to all of crypto. In fact, mm-hmm. you know, crypto is about democratizing access to financial services like this. Right. Uh-huh. Um, and that's what's so important about it, frankly, one of the things. Um, so I really hope, you know, people will will check it out, you know, and start you can start with a super small amount. Right. Like I said, I can start with a dollar. And, and you'll be earning the same rate, right? You, you won't have any disadvantage, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I would urge people just to try it out. I think Dan might already be signing up. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm not listening. I'm, I'm signing up to this awesome Celsius network. Uh, when it comes to like picking the, the cryptos then on your active uh, yeah. side, are you using technical analysis uh, when you're trying to like pick yeah, when my, to get in and out? or My... Uh, I really like to set uh, boundaries in my, you know, portfolio. So mm-hmm. like I mentioned, you know, probably 70% or so of my portfolio is pretty passive. Um, I would say maybe 10% is trading. So mm-hmm. so I have maybe kind of 10% of my portfolio where, yes, I am doing TA. I'm using TA to get into trades um, and to make trades. Um and I've been, uh, I, I had, you know, a rough few years with TA. I think that's kind of normal for a lot of people, you know. Right. You, you got to learn it. You, know, you yeah. got to pay your tuition. <laughs> you got to, yep, uh, exactly. And uh, now I, I've been, uh, you know, this year and even most of last year, I've, I've had a pretty good run. Um, and by the way, uh, th- this is another sort of hack I would recommend to people if you're going to be in crypto, right? Um, if you are trading in crypto, um, what I really recommend is denominating yourself in Bitcoin or in Ethereum. I think it's easier to do it in Bitcoin um, because almost every exchange will have Bitcoin pairs, right? And so why? Okay. Um, the reason is because if you're in crypto, kind of the least risky asset is Bitcoin. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and Bitcoin does pretty well. Uh, over, you know, over the years, Bitcoin has done well. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So rather than worry about my performance against USD, I like to worry about my performance in Bitcoin. And then I trust that Bitcoin is going to take care of itself, you know, versus the USD over time. Um, and that uh, has proven to be correct. Right. And so what that also means is that I am actually much more discerning in my trades because I'm looking at Bitcoin ratios, right? There are mm-hmm. many coins where you'll pull up a chart against USD and you'll and it'll look great, right? It'll look like it's gone up a lot. Um, but then if you actually look at the chart against Bitcoin, um, it hasn't done well, right? And, and it turns out you would have just been better off holding Bitcoin, right? And, and so all mm-hmm. you've done is kind of increase your risk by holding a more volatile crypto um, when you haven't outperformed Bitcoin. Right. So it's so, kind of like uh, when you're looking at a stock, you're not just looking at it blindly. You're also comparing it to like the S&P index to see how it's performed relative. Yeah. Yeah. It would be kind of like if you charted stocks like against the S&P. Right? Yeah. And then you would only, you know, be trying to get into stocks that are outperforming the S&P. Um, so kind of that that same thing. Um but it, it's sort of a little more relevant because a lot of these markets are trading in Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is actually liquidity there where you can trade your Bitcoin directly for those coins and then trade out of them um, in the same way. And so, you know, that's my personal preference. I know lots of traders that, that do it differently. I also know lots of traders that agree with me. But I think that's really helped me, you know, um, kind of mm-hmm. supercharge my performance against the USD, right? And know that I'm not just kind of being bad, right? Because again, you know, if you're trading, <laughs> if you're in crypto and you've set, say you've, you know, allocated 20% of your portfolio to, to crypto, 
you know, the first thing you should do with that 20% is, you know, go buy Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? Those are very good performing assets. Um, they're less risky. You can earn interest on them, all sorts of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then, you know, you only want to be buying other stuff that's going to outperform that, right? Right. Um, so that's kind of my mindset uh, when it comes to trading crypto is I'm always looking at charts against Bitcoin or against Ethereum. And so, you know, like I said, getting back to your question, I trade with maybe 10% of my portfolio. Um, and then the other 20% I am using for yield farming, um, liquidity mining, you know, using various apps in crypto and um, making some and, and then, you know, I have some smaller, more dynamic um, uh, medium to long term investments that I'll, you know, move around from time mm-hmm. to time. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I want to go back uh, to the very beginning when you mentioned your work yeah. history. Uh, you said that you worked with IBM as part of their their blockchain <laughs> sector. Uh, I was very surprised to hear bl- IBM has a blockchain, uh, I guess, division. Like, what are they? What are they doing there? What are they using it for? What What's the purpose behind it? Because I always thought IBM is just making computers. <laughs> yeah, well, IBM, you know, like a lot of uh, IBM is is a rare case of a tech company that's been around for hundreds of years, right? <laughs> um, so they, you know, they've constantly, you know, are looking for to to be on the trend of the next big thing, you know. And now they're really they actually sold, you know, all of their sort of hardware businesses pretty much, and they're really focusing on cloud and you know this other stuff. Um, but for blockchain, you know, um, it's kind of sort of a SaaS play for us. So, you know, software as a service, mm-hmm. we were kind of doing blockchain as a service and we weren't using these uh, public networks like Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? We were building sort of walled garden enterprise networks um, where, you know, that were for specific sort of business use cases, for instance, like a supply chain, right? Like mm-hmm. you have Walmart um, or, you know, and, and Walmart has a massive supply chain you know, and they're buying produce from all these different farms around the world. And um, they want to be able to track basically the provenance of all of their um, goods, you know, um, all across the supply chain. And so what kind of happened in present day or happened before was, you know, all of these various different suppliers would be keeping their own data, right? And then they might send some Excel spreadsheets over to Walmart, and Walmart would hope that they were correct and timely. <laughs> and then if something went wrong, they would have to reconcile, you know, get on the phone and reconcile, right? Right. And so the idea uh, with that use case and many of sort of the supply chain oriented use cases that we worked on, and that was a lot of them, was that, you know, you have a whole kind of supplier network um, and everyone is kind of, uh, everyone kind of stands to benefit from having really timely in sync information. So why not take all this data everyone is sort of keeping separately and put it on something like a blockchain that acts as a single source of truth that, that people can trust, right? And mm-hmm. now... You have, you know, this whole uh, network, you know, working from a single source of truth um, in terms of their uh, data, right? And that um, leads to a lot of business, you know, type of efficiencies. So really exciting stuff like that. It actually is kind of exciting because, at least in my mind. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, it was was pretty exciting. You know, at that that time, what was cool about it is not many other people were doing it. Um, And so really, you know, when we were working on these projects... You know, we we were we were um, I don't want to say making things up as we go along, but we were we were learning, right? And, and right. we were we were kind of working on the cutting edge in a way. And it wasn't as exciting as the stuff that was going on in crypto, um, but it was still pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, trying to figure that stuff out, build those new types of networks. Um, so the blockchain is one of the things that kind of differentiates all the different cryptos out there. From each other, but one of the things that I always found interesting was just how many different uses something like Ethereum has versus mm-hmm. uh, like Bitcoin, which is basically just logging transactions. Like that's all. From what I understand, that's all it is, right? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so Bitcoin is a is a record of who has what Bitcoin. So is Ethereum just lagging as people are figuring this out, or what's going on? Why isn't Ethereum taking off? <laughs> because it seems like it should be the big boy. Well, Ethereum has taken off a good bit. Um, <laughs> The thing is, you know, I think the only thing holding Ethereum back from really 
um, from really going bonkers and reaching, you know, multi-trillion dollar valuation um, is competition, right? There, there actually is a lot of competition for Ethereum with other sorts of networks that can do the same sort of thing mm-hmm. um, and that have come along um, later with kind of, um, you know, different types of tech, in some cases, better tech, right? And Ethereum, um, you know, has this very large existing network effect, uh, which also sort of makes it harder to uh, scale it, right? Because you have a case where you have millions of users, you know, using the Ethereum network now, and you have billions of dollars, right, that are collectively mm-hmm. controlled by different applications live on Ethereum. Um, you know, the network can't have downtime, right? You can't just right. like have scheduled downtime where you go and upgrade everything, right? And then launch it back, you know, to live. It doesn't work that way. So um, it's it's difficult, right? It, and, and it's a problem they've been working on for a long time. And, you know, I, I the hope, you know, of, of really, every, you know, a lot of people in the industry is that uh, next year, you know, they'll be able to launch their long anticipated, you know, upgrade Ethereum 2, you know, which will help out with the scalability um, and the efficiency of the network a lot, right? And then at that point, they'll be on much uh, better footing again, you know, to compete, you know, with uh, competition that's offering kind of more scalable solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's important for Ethereum to do that. I think if they do do that, um, then, you know, there's no doubt in my mind we'll have, you know, five figure plus Ethereum. But, you know, if, if there are hiccups around that, you know, that that's kind of the real risk, you know, the execution risk. Like, nobody's tried to do that before. <laughs> you know, nobody has ever tried this before. So, uh, you know, everyone will be watching closely. Right. Uh, Ethereum mm-hmm. did have a great sort of long anticipated upgrade that went live last month, almost yep. exactly one month ago, um, where now, you know, we're building, we're, we're literally um, burning uh, hundreds of millions of dollars um, from the supply every few weeks. So that was a big upgrade to sort of the supply dynamics of Ethereum. It did not help with scalability really at all. Um, in fact, it may have made it, <laughs> made it harder. It's hard to tell. Um, right. It certainly, it wasn't designed to help with that. Uh, but but that's the main thing, you know, when it comes to Ethereum. Well, the- We've had I actually wrote about this just the other day, you know, in my newsletter, you know, how competition for these uh, smart contract, you know, programmable crypto networks has really been heating up. And we've seen a lot of adoption for networks like Solana and networks like Avalanche and and now even kind of uh, uh, layer two networks on Ethereum. Arbitrum um, is is uh, one that just launched a few days ago, right? And already, you know, over a billion dollars has moved onto that network. Wow, that's fast. Yeah, these things happen very fast. Right. It's amazing when you don't have to wait for the banking system to like clear your transactions for seven days, <laughs> right? You can move money instantly, right? Um, so this stuff can happen very fast. Well, that's a good point. <laughs> so, can can how hard is it for for me and Kyle then to get our own China shop coin going? If we wanted to create a cryptocurrency. Um, it would be pretty easy. You just got to find someone that knows how to do some solidity or watch some YouTube videos on how to do it, and um, yeah, and you you just kind of create a contract, decide how many coins you want there to be, decide what kind of the release schedule is, and all that stuff, and then who gets the coins, and then you just do it right, and and you have the coin. Huh. Um, so anyone can make a coin. Uh, it's a very easy, and that's one reason there are well over 9,000 different coins. Are you familiar with uh, Ripple? Yep. I think that was the one that I saw pop up. I was reading just a little bit about it, but it looks like you can use that to actually create your own coins. Is that Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, I don't know. I have not kept very up to date with Ripple. It's not one I've been very um, excited about or interested in for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you, you have that ability to create your own coins on basically any, you know, smart contracts network. Um, so you don't even need. Yeah, OK. You don't even need that, Dan. We just do it the old fashioned way. Just write a contract <laughs> and have all the coins come to my wallet. Yeah, you can do it on Ethereum. You can do it on Solana. You can do it on Avalanche. <laughs> Anywhere where you can write a smart contract you know, you can create a coin. And then those coins can be exchanged on something like Coinbase. Well, I think you have to get listed by them. Well, you got to to get on Coinbase. You need to either know someone or you have a big, you know, network or community or a lot of demand. Uh, Coinbase is only going to, it's work for Coinbase to list coins. Okay. Um, so, so, you know, you have to, um, you know, they're, they're a company just like, uh, you know, the NASDAQ or Robinhood, right? Uh, so you can't just get, get listed on coinbase very easily so we can create our own coin but we can as much much as yeah we can email whoever we want sure we can send someone a coin but the the to get become one of the transacted coins we need a a giant network going on 
Well, you need people interested in it, I would think. <laughs> uh, well, the, you're right. The bigger the, ne- the bigger the network you have, the better. But you actually don't need Coinbase. Um, you can use what are called decentralized exchanges. This is something like Uniswap. Have you heard of, of Uniswap? No. Ah, okay. So, <laughs> so uh, here here's another sort of mind blowing concept for you, right? So so just like this is a great example of an application that built for the internet of value in sort of a completely different way, right? So just like, you know, Uber became the biggest taxi company without having any taxis and Airbnb became the biggest uh, hotel company, you know, without having right. any real estate, right? We're seeing applications like Uniswap become the largest sort of exchange applications out there and they don't have any assets. In fact, they don't even have like really an office building in some cases, right? Um, they're just a protocol made up of smart, made up of contracts, right? That allow anyone to swap coins um, between each other on a network peer to peer, right? Hmm. And so, what you can do with your uh, China Shop coin is you can create a liquidity pool for it on Uniswap. And what how you would do is you would say, all right, do you want to allow people to trade between China Shop coin and uh, USDC stablecoin? Okay, we create a pool between China Shop coin and USDC, and then we'll provide, or other people in the community can provide those assets as liquidity. And now anyone with either of those coins can trade one for the other using that hmm. pool. Interesting. And what's more, right, because there is no kind of Coinbase, right, when someone makes a trade in that pool between USDC and China Shop Coin, you, as the one providing the liquidity, the assets to trade, earn the trading fees. Oh, that activity. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's awesome. So this is one of my, you know, has become one of my sort of nerdy hobbies, right? I provide liquidity onto platforms like Uniswap in different coins, and I earn the trading fees from uh-huh. trades that are made on those coins. Um, and I'm basically like the casino, yep. right? I allow traders, you know, anyone that wants to trade and do TA and thinks they know what's going to happen, you know, they can trade as much as they want, and I just earn the fees. Well, we'll send you. Uh, we'll send you a note when we do get our coin up and running. Yeah, <laughs> right. sounds good. He sounded less than thrilled. Yes, <laughs> I am so excited. This is the thirtieth coin he's been pitched this week. Oh, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, let's see, looking through my notes here, I think we hit everything that I wanted to talk about. Do you race digital horses? <laughs> do I race? Is that a is that a thing? I don't. I actually have. <laughs> oh, so we get to tell you about something. Uh, Zed Run. Are you not familiar with Zed Run? Okay. All right. I've heard of. I've heard of. <laughs> I've heard of it. I haven't done. I've been trying to. Uh, I've been really contemplating getting into that. Just uh, so are the horses NFTs, and you have to get yeah. Yeah, you know, an NFT, and then you race it, and yeah. But if you much. get a male and a female NFT, then you can actually breed them and make your own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can yeah, also staple them out. Or, yeah, it's like actual actually owning a horse that you don't have to actually feed or ride or look at. <laughs> I don't. I'm not a big fan of horses. <laughs> clearly, clearly, <laughs> clearly. I, uh, well, my family grew up in in uh, Louisville, so. Oh, yeah. Real big in the horse. So if you're not racing a real horse, <laughs> it's <laughs> nothing. They wouldn't be impressed. Probably not. <laughs> um, all right. Well, Dan, do you got anything else? Here? This has been really, really informative. Uh, I really appreciate what you doing the deep dive for us. Also, just the uh, almost lecture. <laughs> yeah, right. A <laughs> lot of information. You can tell that you're really passionate about it, and that's uh, definitely something that we found is. Uh, what you need to be successful. Well, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I do enjoy talking about this stuff. Well, thank you. We're, we're glad you do. Can you tell us a little bit about, like, if our users wanted to connect with Road to Babylon, what they could expect from that experience? Sure. So uh, my website is uh, roadtobabylon.org. So it's, a dot, it's just .org, uh, roadtobabylon.org. Um, and I have lots of sort of free content um, up there. Um, I used to do sort of a lot of personal consultations, but I've actually sort of sunset that because um, mm-hmm. uh, it was taking a lot of time. But I do, you know, a weekly newsletter where I share my thoughts on the crypto markets and what's going on. And, and that, of course, is free. Um, and I have just released um, a course that I'm really excited about, um, mm. which is just kind of, you know, my, you know, all of my kind of thoughts and expertise rolled into um, a six hour, you know, course broken up into lots of short videos. So it's very digestible. Mm. Uh, I think we have, you know, close to 60 videos. 
um, in the course, all self-paced, um, lifetime access sort of thing. Um, so if you're really, you know, if you're someone that really wants to get more involved into crypto and doesn't just want to, you know, try and use it as a get rich quick scheme, which is not going to work well in most cases. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We've then, learned that. <laughs> uh, then, you know, I, you know, I really think it's worth it to take the time and learn this industry. I think it's going to be around for a long time. I think we are really at the beginning of this transformation that I talked about, you know, from the internet of information to the internet of value. I think that's really just beginning. I don't think it's too late. I think it's actually quite early. Um, and I, and so I think, you know, it's worth taking the time to really learn about it. Um, from someone that's, you know, worked in the industry and been a successful investor for a while. Um, so if you're interested in checking out the course, you can find that um, on my website, um, are doing some early bird pricing for that now. Um, so check it out. And you can find the full table of contents. I try to be as transparent as, as possible. If you have any questions, uh, you can find my email also on the website and feel free to email me. And yeah, I, I hope to see people in the course. See y'all there. And if people want to see or listen to you talk more, do you have a YouTube channel or, or anything like that? that people I can do find? not have a YouTube channel as of yet, um, but I'm sure if you type me in on YouTube, I've, I've done a lot of these podcasts, so you can listen to um, more stuff like this. Um, and you can find me on Twitter, um, where I tweet a lot of crypto-related stuff. Oh, yes. Let's let's get that Twitter handle. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Shahar Abrams, which is my name. So should be pretty easy to find. All right. Abrams will put links to all this stuff in the episode description so listeners can find it. And and it's important to say it out loud, too, so the radio listeners can write it down. <laughs> yes. All right. We cover everything? Yeah. This has been so great. I really, really, I, I feel like if someone came up to me and, and was asking, hey, Dan, explain this, I feel like I could do a much better job at the moment. Yeah, I'd yeah. say listen to the latest episode. <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> I don't know if I can repeat it all yet. I have to listen to this again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. We, so we really, we really appreciate you coming by. Uh, this has been a really great time. Uh, everybody, go out, take a look at uh, Road to Babylon. A uh, lot of great stuff. I'm going to be checking out the Celsius Network, and I'm definitely mm-hmm. going to be using this referral code. Referral code Shahar six ABE. Absolutely, absolutely. So. That's going to wrap it up for us. Uh, Thanks again, Shahar, for stopping by. Uh, Thanks, you all out there, for for listening and getting to the end with us. And uh, until next time, happy trades. Bye, folks. Thanks, everyone. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.